Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the 318th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Matt Perkins. No coach with us today. Uh, he is off uh, doing SEC After Dark, so you should tune into SEC After Dark after you listen to this if you really want to deep dive on some of the SEC stuff. But uh, have no fear because it is we still have the third amigo in the second city. Um, Josh, I don't actually have a pithy remark for you today. <laughs> so I'm just going to say welcome. And it's good to see you as always. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see you. I, uh, I'm looking at my uh, reflection in our uh, camera and I, I didn't realize I'm wearing a V-neck right yeah, now. I like undershirt. It. I like it. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I look a little unkempt to say <laughs> the least. Look like I just came in from walking the dog because, oh wait, I, I did just literally come in from walking the dog. Well, what I should said is someone who would not be ashamed to flip off any presidential <laughs> candidate at El Asico. Uh, that was uh, the good people of Iowa showed the presidential candidates how they really feel. And that was fun. So, yeah, that was a that was a great uh, freeze frame there from the uh, the day. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, in, in some ways more fun than the game itself. So uh, we will get into talking about a little bit of Elastico and the rest of uh, some of those week two matchups and look forward to a uh, underwhelming, shall we say, week three slate of games. I don't think anyone's really in love with any of them with no top 25 matchups. But nonetheless, uh, if you are interested in them and want to throw a little bit of money down, the place to do that is at our presenting sponsor, betonline.ag where they continue to be your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs. You name it, they've got it over there at Bet Online. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus uh, uh, when you use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, Bet Online, where the game starts. And uh, shout out to MikeFarrellSports.com, where you could be watching this podcast right now. Make sure you're staying uh, up to date with all of the latest news and information over at MikeFarrellSports.com, recruiting, draft and obviously college football it's all there at mikefarrellsports.com and if you want to get into the big 10 which which we know you do big 10 accounting.com that's the place to be with josh's musings and rantings and notes uh <laughs> there's nowhere better to be for any big 10 content uh josh though uh we're gonna start today with uh one takeaway and uh my takeaway is going to be off the field uh we're gonna do one takeaway from the previous week and my uh, takeaway is that I already knew that Mel Tucker wasn't the best coach, and it turns out he is way worse at being a decent human being than he is at being a football coach. Um, if you haven't heard yet, there has been a pretty uh, lengthy now ongoing uh, Title IX investigation into Mel Tucker and him uh doing some pretty disturbing things with a woman who he brought in to talk to his team about consent she is a uh noted uh sexual assault survivor and she was uh she was brought in uh by the team in the university to speak to student athletes and he proceeded to uh do uh some un kind of unspeakable phone sex acts uh in uh, at Michigan State and Michigan State, out of all places, for this to occur 
in the wake of Larry Nasser, when they were the epicenter of everything that happened with him and um, uh, anything that's happened with him. And so I, uh, I'm just, I'm kind of disturbed at how long this has taken because this investigation began, I think, back in December of 2022, and they knew about this in the summer, and we're just hearing about it now. There was a uh, there was a hearing scheduled for early October, but I don't think Mel Tucker ever coaches a game again in East Lansing. And what was what I thought was the most disheartening, but also probably the most predictable part of this entire situation was the statement released by Tucker afterwards in which he like, he just goes and does all the classic victim shaming claims. Everything was consensual, of course, and just uh, takes from, you know, the rapist one oh one playbook, frankly. Yeah. And it was in and, and this woman who, uh, who is the victim here is someone who uh clearly knows like and she's brought receipts and she has the receipts and josh it's just like it's another i I, i'm having trouble really i'm not having trouble wrapping my hands this happened because i know this happens far too often in our society but especially in college football but with this particular victim who has so much you know experience in uh sexual assault trauma and being a survivor and talking to people about it and talking to people about consent Th- Josh this is like this is so brazen his yeah. actions if they prove to be true which I don't have a lot of doubts that they are true or pretty darn close to true given everything that has transpired um just another black eye for Michigan State yeah, I mean, so there are a couple things to unpack. And um, yeah, obviously the the length of how long Michigan State's known and, and worked behind the scenes, um, it, it got clouded because at MSU's own press conference, uh, it, it was just mixed about what they were talking about and what they knew. And so, you know, they were like, well, a Title IX investigation is confidential and stuff. So that's... It's like, yes, that's true. However, like you buried some important information that came out then in follow-up stuff. And it's like they weren't even ready for the press conference, basically. Um, so that's that's kind of added a lot of confusion to it. And then I, I've seen some stuff online basically saying like, well, you know, if she felt this way, why did, you know, why were they on the phone for 36 minutes? And it's like, well... Because, A, we don't know what the conversation was about. It could have been 35 minutes of talking about business. And then right at the very last moment, he initiates something. She tells him no and, you know, whatever. But the other thing, too, is, you know, consent does not mean you say at one point you're fine with something. Like, you know, if you are with someone and you start making out and that's fine. And then you kind of like start fooling around that's fine but as soon as someone male or female or whatever it is as soon as one engaging partner says no that's it then consent's done so you know for all we know you know it was consensual up until it wasn't but the other thing that 
people are not seeming to to really realize is that this is a person in a position of power who brought this person as, as an outside vendor, basically. Mm-hmm. And this is just completely unprofessional. Even, you know, even if it was consensual, which it is not, but just to play devil's advocate, completely consensual, you're still hitting that Bobby Petrino completely unprofessional showing complete lack of judgment zone. So, you know, no matter how the biggest Mel Tucker fan in the world wants to dress it up, you're never going to get around the fact that it's completely unprofessional for a football coach to be doing this. It's completely unprofessional for a college professor to do it. In my position, a high school teacher, like this is a no-go zone. Yeah, it's in out. The, they are an outside vendor who's contracted by the university yeah. to do this job, and that is like there's code of conduct against that too. Like, yeah. there there's so yeah. many layers of wrong yeah. with this. It, and then on top of that, you know, she's been con- like completely consistent with her timeline and how Mm -hmm. everything transpired and he's been flying all over the place you know oh i called her from east lansing no i called her from florida blah blah it's like well if this was a case and i was on the jury and we've got one person completely all over the place and a person very consistent uh human nature tells you which one is the more believable of the two Mm -hmm. uh versions Yes, absolutely. And so I'm, you know, part of me was a little bit shocked that they didn't fire him on the spot. But what I all I can think of with this is that they are making sure that they have dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's so they don't have to pay him another cent out of his contract. So he can't sue to say he was, you know, fired and deserved to get his whatever remains on his ninety five million dollar contract. So it's not a great start to the season for Sparty uh, on the field. They haven't looked great. And uh, this is going to be a whole lot worse. And, you know, you know, we've been saying ever since that kind of one miracle season that they had a couple years ago with Kenneth Walker, that this was seemed like the base was a little bit shaky at Michigan state. Yeah. And now it's going to get a lot worse. Now they could fall. They could end up falling backwards into a better coach. In yeah. some ways, I'm curious to see who takes on this job, but it will be, you know, it, it's going to be tough sledding, at least for the rest of 2023. Well, I'll tell you one of the next dominoes that could uh, could fall is there was really no reason for Scotty Hazelton to come back. He did an atrocious job as a defensive coordinator last year. Um, I would say 90% of universities would have fired him. I have no idea what my why Mel Tucker brought him back. Uh, D'Antonio being the associate head coach here to end the season. Um, I think he's going to take one look at Hazleton's scheme and play calling and be like, Hey, in addition to being associate head coach, uh, why don't I just run the defense? I mean, they would have probably a lot better luck and, yeah. you know, scheme it up a little bit better there uh, than they have been under Hazleton. Okay, Josh, what is your big takeaway from week one? Or week two, I should say. Yeah. Well, you know, we might talk about Elastico in a little bit. We'll see. Why not? Let's just, we, we can. We, we got to be honest. That game. That game put me to sleep. But um, 
No, my my takeaway is um, for those of you that don't know, there is a technical rivalry between Houston and Rice. It's called the Bayou Bucket Classic. And, uh, well, it's one of those rivalries that, um, let's just say, uh, decidedly one sided. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Houston, Houston leads at 33 to 12. Uh, but I want to talk about that 12th game for Rice because that was this year. Um, Houston had all the hallmarks of a completely unprepared, horribly coached team. They fell down 21 nothing. After the first quarter, you're down 28-7 at halftime. They rallied a little bit, I'll say. They shut Rice out in the second half, scored 21 in the fourth to tie the game, but then lost it in overtime. And you look at some of these stats for Rice, 401 passing yards. JT Daniels. Yeah, 8 of 14 on third down. And it's like, I don't get these coaches that think that you only need to be good on one side of the ball. And Dana Holgerson now has clearly shown no commitment to defense. The the defense was awful in that first quarter. And we did not have high expectations for him continuing at Houston too long. I think this just speeds up the timeline. You cannot be a Big 12 team losing to Rice. I'm sorry, Owls. Like, I did a dynasty with you back in the day in the video game. I love Rice. Who doesn't like Rice? But Big 12 teams don't lose to Rice. This is a pretty black, big black eye. And if you're, you know, a Houston booster, you're seeing SMU get in the ACC. Mm-hmm. You're seeing Baylor take a step back. A&M's already gone. Texas is going to be gone soon. And, and you're thinking like, um, we're just treading water or, or trending downwards. Uh, if you're a big time Houston booster, and we know there are some really big, big time Houston boosters, uh, they have to be beyond peeved right now. I mean, I would be. Holgerson has shown a disdain for defense for a while now. <laughs> and you've actually been sort of at the vanguard, Josh, of uh, thinking he is uh, not quite worth his weight in gold uh, for the Cougars or even before that for the Mountaineers. I don't take pride on ragging on fellow Iowa natives, but... Uh... Yeah, it was it, it was a weird weekend for the Big Twelve in general. I guess like well, we we can wrap up our week two coverage talking about obviously the big win was Texas over Alabama, uh, but you can find Ew. coverage of that ad nauseum. Texas was just the way way better team. Um, Texas Tech had Oregon on the ropes for a minute, and then Oregon puts up a twenty burger in the final frame to well, to pull. You know ahead. what, Matt? I need my microphone for this. Oh. This is how. Texas Tech is feeling right now. They were who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Yeah, honey, it's the microphone over. Yeah, <laughs> they they are oh, Texas Tech. Uh, there was Oklahoma State, Arizona State was one of the ugliest games of the weekend, except for UCF uh, Boise State, which was super ugly as uh, well. No, Nor- Northern Illinois lost to Southern Illinois. Oh god, that was bad. Yeah. I was just talking about but Baylor, Baylor, Baylor had you. I watched most of Baylor, Utah. I was flipping back and forth between the Colorado, Nebraska game and the Baylor, Utah game in that early window on Saturday. 
and I watched most of Baylor Utah and it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic at the end. And, you know, Baylor, it, it, it's not just not a good, not a good game from either team, but Baylor, man, that they are really hard pressed to have any offense whatsoever. Yeah. I, I've kind of been poking around uh, some Baylor sites, <laughs> just kind of curious uh let's just say the 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 fan the corner of the fan base willing to post on uh on message boards and stuff they're done with a random um wisconsin will take him back to be defensive coordinator the because uh wisconsin through two games their fan base is already done with mike trestle so um (laughs) they say he can go take the michigan state head job they are not convinced that the 335 will work in the big 10 and well, and probably won't. Yeah, well, and they have no pass rush to speak of whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that is enough with week two. Let's head. You in. don't want to talk about Alaska? We don't want. To okay, do two let's talk about it. Yeah, let, let, let's spend a little bit of time on the game of games. Iowa, All right. Iowa well, State. well, let me just tell you how I experienced the game. Um, so I was very fortunate enough to get invited to the uh, Cubs game, which was happening during Alaska. So you know. I recorded it and uh, well, the ticket connect I have, it feels very weird dropping names. Like I never drop names on this podcast, but uh, our neighbors are like family friends of Nico Horner, the Cubs, incredible Saga basement. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the ticket connect. Uh, we had fantastic seats. And then uh, in the eighth, we're handed these little wristbands by a Cubs employee that gets us on the field. So yes, I was on the the field at Wrigley. I got pictures with the Ivy, touching the Ivy, jumping into the Ivy. Uh, the doors were open to the bullpen and no one told us we couldn't go in there. So I poked my head around in the bullpen, uh, had an incredible time, get home, uh, watch about half of the first quarter and then I go out to dinner. <laughs> And then get home from dinner and I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to finish the game. Fell asleep during it because it was completely unwatchable. And I finished it Sunday morning after I woke up. So that is how I enjoyed El Asico because, well, let's just say Iowa scored 20 points and seven of that came from a pick six. Um, I don't know how Brian Ferentz has figured out how to do it, but the offense somehow seems worse with better talent. Um, I, you know, hard on him last year. I tried to be objective when I previewed Iowa and point out some of the injuries that they had. Uh, I thought that they could return to what he was earlier in his career, but no, it's done. They're bad, dude. They're bad. Josh, (laughs) there were, your quarterback was 12 of 22. He completed a total of three passes to wide receivers. Yeah. And three passes for 15 yards to wide receivers. Yeah, I, well, I mean, Cade is uh, Cade is battling a pretty bad leg injury at the moment, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it ain't good. It's not good. It's really talking about Wisconsin ain't being good. Wisconsin's <laughs> terrible. Um, Wisconsin has no offensive line to speak of. Luke Fickle in the hot seat. No, no pass rush. Listen, I saw people on Badger message boards like losing their minds. Like, <laughs> bro, it's been two games. Like. <laughs> Let's let, let, let's let's take a step back here for a minute. Oh, Jimmy Lennon's defense would have never give up this much. Blah 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 blah. I was like, well, they lost to Washington State last year too. So let, let, let's uh, let, let's let, let's slow your roll. And also, yeah, Cam Ward's a really freaking good quarterback. 
Like he's a really, mm-hmm. really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. The entire back 12 is just loaded at quarterback. It's absurd, man. Like there are 10, not, I think there are, well, no, there's probably eight quarterbacks in the pack 12 that could start at darn near any school in the country. Like it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. The, the, the quarterback talent yeah. out there in the pack 12 right now. Yeah. And weird to say, but the best right now is might be DJU. DJ, uh, I mean, Caleb Williams is still the best, but DJU yeah, but off to a great start. Caleb's just living up to lofty expectations. That's true. D- that- DJU's showing that, uh, that growth and elevation. Mm-hmm. Well, DJU's also showing the benefits of an offensive line, something that Clemson lacks <laughs> and even lacked against uh, Charleston Southern this weekend. Uh, Charleston Southern uh, stayed with Clemson for the first half including uh, some incredible special teams play. One of the most beautiful punts and punt downings that I've ever seen in that game. Go back and watch it. I think I... Uh, I think you don't watch it too much it. Iowa if you're bringing in the punter here. Listen, man, Tory Taylor would have been jealous about this, uh, this special teams play. Um, but I thought it was funny, though, in El Asico to see all the Iowa fans like get up and like really get excited for every time Tory Taylor comes in the game. I mean, he's the best player on your team. Well, I mean, he's he's pretty darn special. Like he would have sports. the highest Madden rating, or you know, <laughs> or EA Sports College Football rating. He might be a punter, but he'd have him, he'd be a ninety nine. Yeah. So, well, if we're ever going to talk punting in Iowa, you got to always bring up the great two punters. Actually, now Kinnick did a little punting yes, way back in the day, so you can say he was a Heisman Trophy winning punter among other duties. But also the the late great Reggie Roby, who. Oh, uh, Whenever, whenever they were playing up in Minnesota, his goal was always to punt it so he could hit the roof of the Metrodome. Mm-hmm. That was his warm up when he was in the NFL. Ah, oh, good stuff. Reggie Roby is a game name I haven't heard in a minute. So, okay, let's move in then into Week Three, Josh. It's a tough, it's tough sledding this weekend. This might be the weekend if you, uh, you know, have some stuff on your honeydew list. If you have some. <laughs> You know, I'm weirdly intrigued by the Virginia Tech Rutgers game. <laughs> listen, listen, there there is some stuff that I want to talk about in my like weird, morbid uh, intrigue. And there's like a bunch of it's like the Big Ten ACC challenges this weekend in football, um, <laughs> which is strange. But and we're actually going to start with one of those Big Ten ACC matchups. Um, I think yeah. really the best game of the weekend might be Minnesota, North Carolina. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty slim pickings around these parts for the, what can be deemed the best game, but you know, that doesn't mean us sickos won't be watching something interesting (laughs) is bound to happen. Um, both game day, both college game day and big noon kickoff are at Colorado, Colorado state, which is idiotic. Um, and you know, and I, you know, I love Colorado State. I, I love Colorado State, you know, but the, I, I, there's no need for both of those programs to be there at that game. No. But this game, this Minnesota North Carolina game, Josh, I'm weirdly intrigued by it. Um, in the first of, I think, a couple Big Ten ACC games that we'll talk about, it pits strength on strength. Minnesota's defense is good. Like, I think Minnesota's yeah. offense is not good, yeah. but Minnesota's defense is very good. They've got a truly outstanding safety. Um, and North Carolina, great offense, still lacking on defense game is in Chapel Hill. Josh, I like UNC. I think they have more talent on their team, but you know, we've seen Minnesota do weird things. Josh, I'm curious your perspective here on this one. Yeah. I mean, 
like you, you said, Minnesota's defense is really good. Yeah, they completely stoned Nebraska in week one, held them to 10 points. Now, we knew Jeff Sims was an issue, and he obviously struggled mightily against Colorado. Um, so what did Minnesota do as a follow-up act? They took on a pretty nice MAC team, a, a MAC team that we all think can be a contender, held them to nine first downs, three of 10 on third, held them under 200 yards, 71 passing yards on nine of 20. Um, Eastern couldn't do anything in the second half. They just completely shut them down. And, you know, defense is portable. So we know they're going to come to play, and they know all week that their only chance is – slowing North Carolina down. I don't know what Minnesota's offensive ceiling is, but I'm sure the defensive players and the coaches kind of feel like mm, 21 might be our ceiling. And that's if we really get, get it going. So that defense basically knows, Hey, we got to shut down Drake may we got to keep this a very slow plotting game. They got to win at Iowa style, right? All defense, no offense. Uh, make make a game changing play, um, whether it's a you know defensive touchdown or or a great special teams play, something. And uh, this is such a cliche to, thing to say, but but if you're going to win that way, the field position game becomes really important, and it, it's going to be one of those games that if Minnesota does win, you'll probably see them dominate the turnover margin and probably have several punts down inside the 20. And that's what it's going to take. It's not a great recipe for success, but, you know, Iowa's done it. You know, Iowa won 10 games a few years ago. You can do it. You can have success. And when you are as struggling defensively as North Carolina is, that could also be the game that wakes up the gopher offense a little bit. Yeah, I was interested because against Eastern, they used a ton of Darius Taylor, the true freshman running back. He led the team in carries and yards. And I am a little bit curious to see if they continue to give him the ball a lot against North Carolina, if they go back to some of their most more experienced backs and and Sean Tyler. Um, But I think that this is it's a strength on strength game on that end. And then I have no idea what to expect on the other side of the ball. Right. I'm still yeah. not sold at all on Ethan Kaliak Manis and I'm, you know, North Carolina's defense looked great against South Carolina, um, you know, last week or two, in week one. And then, you know, and then last week they really struggled with Appalachian state yet again. And so I, I don't know which one of those is more of a real result and more indicative of who UNC is. But and or maybe it's just that Appalachian State has a better offensive line than South Carolina. I mean, that's not saying much, but <laughs> could, could be. Also, you know, you can't can't disc, can't discount the Appalachian State, you know, that that's a huge win for them if they can take down the flagship mm-hmm. state school. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Josh, I'm going to give you a couple of SEC matchups. We've got two Tennessee at Florida and LSU at Mississippi state at Mississippi state. Um, 
I think both of these games have moments of interest in them, is what I guess I would say. Florida and LSU both had week one losses that they bounced back from in week two. Tennessee and Mississippi State both haven't really been tested yet. Um, which of these games do you find more intriguing, or would you be more likely to watch? Ooh, I, I, I like that question. Um, you know, the, the Brian Kelly experience is kind of like going off the rails. Uh, we got caught lying about, I would never say beat the heck out of that, but that's like, well, there's a, a recording of it. So as weird as LSU is and as weird as Brian Kelly's been, and as much as we have a soft spot for Mississippi State, I think the real answer is the rivalry game. They're between Tennessee and Florida. And, you know, what I'm curious in this one is Tennessee blew out Virginia and it's like, okay, all, all systems go. And then they sleepwalk through Austin P, hold a players only meeting. And, you know, as, as much as we ragged on Graham Mertz and still kind of, you know, he deserved it. He, he was awful last year. He's got 530 yards through two games. He's actually not the reason Florida's one and one. Like he, he's playing some of his best ball. Um, it's a rivalry game. It's in the swamp. Crazier things have happened. Um, I think this one is generally interesting. It might be over by halftime for all we know, because Florida's got a lot of issues. Uh, but at least in terms of which I would sit and watch the start of, uh, yeah, it'd be the, the Tennessee-Florida game. I think that the Tennessee-Florida game is going to go one of two ways. I think it's either going to be like very close, like a one-score game with four minutes left kind of thing, where you know Florida finds enough offense, Joe Milton you know, airs some balls, has a couple turnovers, or it's going to be a complete blowout. And I uh, in in Tennessee's favor, and I don't really see it going any other way because Tennessee's offense is still ha- has the chance to be very explosive when they want yeah. to, and and very explosive when they need to. Now they have not been tested at all. Florida's already gone up against Utah. I'm curious of how because because t- Tennessee and Utah schematically are polar opposites or very close to polar opposites in what they're trying to do. But we saw some of the stuff that Utah did that was so effective against Florida. I'm curious to see uh, how much Josh Heupel tries to bring some some of that, some of the the power game, the the, the power run game into uh into what they are going to do to attack Florida and how much are they going to get Joe Milton to move? Because Utah was very good with uh, some quarterback runs and got a lot of positive yardage through the quarterback run. Milton is, you know, definitely athletic enough, definitely mobile enough to really make an impact there. I'm curious to see how many yards Joe Milton runs for and how many turnovers he have. Those are going to be sort of the two real key indicators for me. And you're right about Graham Merce. Like Graham Merce has played pretty decent football. Like he put up 340 yards or something like that against Utah passing. And now that was because he had a million mm-hmm. attempts, but still well, he, he, he was, he was airing it out on the flip side though. I think LSU Mississippi state is an interesting game for a couple of other reasons. Uh, Mississippi state, you know, they haven't, you know, like Tennessee, they haven't really been tested yet. LSU was, tested and failed 
uh, they failed their test against Florida State. <laughs> and they are trying to pick up the pieces a little bit. They have, um, you know, uh, I should say Mississippi State hasn't been tested. I mean, they were, you know, they won last week against Arizona, but it wasn't the prettiest win. It took overtime to beat an Arizona. You know what? An Arizona squad that I think is a little friskier than some people yeah. might want to think. Jaden Delora has seen a lot of football um, out there. I mean, we, we had them bowling. I mean, you know, yeah. that's a power five team that'll be going bowling. That's not necessarily the worst win in the world especially early in the season mm-hmm. yeah and so and again lc played grambling last week like you can't you, you, you we can't learn anything about lc from them playing grambling and so where does who is the real lsu because we, we've seen them against an elite opponent and seen them against the like a not great fcs opponent so this is a much more appropriate test i think for both teams i think that you know the the game against arizona might have been a little bit of a wake-up call for mississippi state um in terms of you know trying to figure out what what they really need to do i'm surprised at you know will will rogers had 17 passing attempts like this is a guy we're used to seeing throw the ball 50 yeah. or more times in a game 17 passing attempts you know he's efficient he was efficient with it you know he had 162 yards nine and a half yards per attempt um and you know three touchdowns no picks but i I, for mississippi state that's i still don't think that's who they are i think at the end of the day there's still a team that is built to to throw the ball and you know i don't know there's only so much jaquavius marks can do yeah, they need a little bit more uh, more pirate in them. Yeah, they uh, they they really do. So this is going to be that's going to be interesting SEC West battle. I can see a world in which LSU w- loses this game, but I think you know I think you've got to imagine that LSU is going to get back um, you know on the proper right foot uh, against an FBS opponent and take home the victory here. Now there are two uh, Big Twelve big uh sec battles a uh, 12 big 12 versus sec battles i should say that i also had circled on the calendar here for this weekend kansas state at mizzou and byu at arkansas missouri and arkansas uh you know are the home teams for both of these matchups but i think we're going to get a couple of good games here k-state is uh you know uh is adapting i think they're looking pretty solid so far uh, be- <laughs> I mean, they're they're nationally ranked. They're they're on a roll, but yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's definitely still questions without Deuce Vaughn, and they haven't top fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're still a pretty darn good team, but you know, I, I we Josh, you and me and Coach tend to be a little bit higher on K State than the rest of the country writ large, um, and I think that you know. K-State should be the favorite against Mizzou. So do you, but do you think this could be a trap game for, for them at all? No. No? No, because this is an old, old, um, what was it? Big eight? Big eight, yep. Rivalry? Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, Missouri and Kansas was the, the, the rivalry. But Kansas, the state, and Missouri, the state – have like real bad blood since like the 1850s. Leading Kansas, freed up on the kids. And and so, you know, Kansas State, yeah, it wasn't as big as Missouri, Kansas, but when they played each other in the Big Eight, it did still mean something to Kansas State. 
Um, this is their first Power Five team. This is their first road trip of the season. So there's very real stakes that they want to, you know, if they want to win the Big 12, which, you know, I'm pretty sure they want to defend their title, they need to quit themselves well on the road. They have a tough road trip to Texas. They have a tough road trip to Kansas. So, you know, they need to work out their road game now. They need to figure out what's portable. The fact that this is their first Power 5 team, Southwest Missouri State, not a test. Shut them out. Troy, awesome Sunbelt team. We all like Troy. Yeah. They they smoked them 42-13. But even though we all know Troy's really good, it unfortunately is still a Sunbelt team and the side of their helmet says Troy. Missouri brings with it that SEC cachet. It's a road game. Kansas State better be focused. And with that in mind, I think that could make life very hard for Missouri because Missouri, yeah, they're two and zero, but but mildly unimpressive. Four point winners at home against Middle Tennessee last week. Um, you know, Missouri's got their own issues to figure out, but uh, I, I think Kansas State, um, knowing how well coached they are by Kleiman and his staff, I think this is going to be a business trip for them. They're going to be efficient. They're going to take care of business, and I could see this. Uh, getting kind of one-sided. I could see them winning by three or four touchdowns. Then let's talk about BYU-Arkansas. You know, that is another intriguing matchup in a couple different ways. Uh, You've got two veteran quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis, uh, KJ Jefferson, both guys who you trust to run an offense. Uh, You know, Arkansas still has that big, beefy offensive line like they do every year in a power running game. Um, BYU, though, you know, they had... Um, you know, they put Southern Utah last week, no big, you know, no biggie, but they didn't look great in their opener against Sam Houston no. um, at all. And I'm curious, is that was, oh, is that just a, you know, this, that was Slovis's first game at BYU thing, or is that a larger indication of some problems for the Cougars? And do you think those will manifest themselves in, uh, you know, power five slash big 12 play? Well, you know, it's 41-16. They blew him out. You mentioned Slovis. Slovis was great. But they did not have a good running day. No. They put up 46 rushing yards on 23 carries against Southern Utah. So BYU still feels like a complete what are they? You know, two two games that we really did not learn a lot about them. You know, Arkansas benefited being the home team, but also kind of a team we don't know anything against because they beat Kent State, one of the worst teams in college football last week. So this is one of those complete X-Factors game where because both teams feel like it's such an unknown right now, you could tell me Arkansas is up by 28 at halftime. I'd say, okay, I can believe it. You could tell me that BYU's really stout defense is playing lights out and it's 10 nothing at halftime and Arkansas is completely out of funk. And I'd be like, man, I, I'd believe it. And then at the end of the game, like same thing, like I have no clue because these teams, you know, BYU's had two really not so great games and Arkansas hasn't played anybody. So this, this feels like, um, the type of game where I could really, really see it being like one of those boxing matches where both teams are kind of conservative and a little tight at the beginning because both coaching staffs due to level of competition actually don't know 
what exactly their team is. And I could easily see it being like zero zero after first quarter. And we're like, what, what, what is this game? And then it opens up as, as it goes on. Yeah, I'm, you know, I will definitely have my eyes on both of these games. Uh, nonetheless, I, I, I will also weirdly, there's a couple like random, like big t- matchups involving big 12 teams. We've got the We've got the uh, backyard brawl this weekend. Um, yeah, we've got Pitt West Virginia. So that's always a good one. Uh, both teams coming in one and one. I think Pitt and how they look will give us a strong indicator of if Narduzzi's on Michigan State's radar. Because <laughs> if they come out looking like completely inept, that's usually a early warning sign of uh, the coach's attention is elsewhere. <laughs> is Michigan a better state job? Is Michigan State a better job than Pitt? Um, hmm. I don't know if it's a better job to an outsider, but for Narduzzi, it would feel like a homecoming versus he has built something at Pitt. He's gotten them to an ACC title game. So that's a tough one. Um, you know, Michigan State didn't take him. They had a chance a few years ago. They went with Mel Tucker. Yes, you know, D'Antonio resigned very late in the coaching carousel process. Uh, so maybe Narduzzi felt a, uh, a sense of loyalty and duty to stay with Pitt, but um, you know, they, they didn't get him last time. And that could have also been a signal that Narduzzi is very happy with, uh, you know, he, he's been Pitt's most successful coach since what, you know, the eighties. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh. it absolutely has. So, um, and then uh, quietly two and O Wyoming coming into Texas, let down gate, <laughs> let down spot for the Longhorns. Who knows? Well, Craig Bull said it was the greatest Texas team he's ever seen. Um, which I guess he didn't watch any of Vince Young. It would, no, would be my apparently guess. not. Apparently, <laughs> they didn't get the games up in North Dakota at that point. Yeah. So that's too bad. So, okay, Josh. Well, we will wrap it up here uh, with one for the road. One or two things that you will be watching for this weekend yeah. that we haven't talked about. I'm strangely interested in another Big Ten ACC matchup, and that is Syracuse. Purdue last year's Syracuse Purdue game was absolutely bonkers and Purdue to me is one of the strangest teams in college football this year I I you know they've got a new coaching staff offensive coordinator Graham Harrell just wants to air it out Hudson Card has been trying to air it out to medium success I mean he's got 500 (laughs) yards through two games but hasn't been like fantastic or lights out. But you know, Syracuse, you know, a quiet two and zero. They beat the brakes off of Western Michigan last night. I mean, on the, on the score sheet, they are they've scored 110 points and given up seven through two weeks. So now, given they've played Colgate and Western Michigan, but still, that's a that, that's a good start for a Dino Babers squad who, you know, Dino pretty much is perpetually coaching for his job at this point. So I'm going to watch this game. I'm going to be interested in this game, not only because my neighbor and good friend is a Boilermaker, but, you know, just Syracuse being the team of my youth. But I'm curious to see how both of these teams fare 
in this one heading into the into their own conference seasons because you know Syracuse they're able to win at Purdue at this one they've got a game versus Army but then you know after that they really get into the into the into the tough part of their schedule but you know they win this they are set up to to make a bowl game this year and really take some of that heat off of Dino Babers so I think this is a, a crucial game for them if Dino is going to keep that job. Nice. Well, I uh, I have a tradition of taking one more for the road very loosely and, and sort of doing my own thing in this that's segment. What so that's what we're here uh, for. So one for the road is actually a three <laughs> for the road because there's three really interesting games for me. First of all, Georgia State, the Panthers, open up with a nice win against Rhode Island. Follow that up with a win over Connecticut, who went bowling last year. They travel to Charlotte, and Charlotte is uh, not a team that with high expectations this year, as much as we love their coach, who was rocking the sleeveless look uh, in their last game. But anyway, Charlotte's been struggling. Georgia State is in a great position to start the year 3-0. I don't think any of us had that on our bingo card you get Georgia State to 3-0, and look at the rest of their schedule. They got some pretty intriguing games. You would have to like them uh, at home against Marshall as a, as a chance for them to pick up a win there. Uh, maybe traveling to Lafayette to take on the Raging Cajun. Decent chance there. Maybe you pick it up a win at Georgia Southern. But suddenly at 3-0, and a bowl looks doable for the Panthers. And I don't think any of us had that in the regular or in the previous show. Uh, the next game, I'm, I, I'm serious about this one, Matt. Cal, Cal looked okay. They I guess have beat, they should have beaten Auburn. They yeah. should have beaten Auburn. But at the same time, it's Auburn. So it's like, is that that special? But the Vandals, FCS mm. Vandals, they are two and oh, and I know oh, those boys from Moscow. Yeah, I know it's Nevada. I know Nevada is one of the worst bad. Uh, FC, FBS teams in the country. They're playing like an FCS team. I know that's bad, but Idaho beat them 33 to six, Matt. <laughs> like this Idaho team yeah. is no joke. Yeah. This is not a cakewalk for Cal. I'm very curious. Now, Everyone might laugh at me if Cal wins this like 56 nothing, But at the very least, I'm incredibly intrigued by this. And if the Pac-12 network was ready and available anywhere in the country, uh, I would have actually watched this game. But you know what? They have a terrible commissioner and terrible network. Uh, the final game, the final, final game that I am curious about. You just talked about Purdue, Matt. Yep. Purdue's coming off that win in Lane Stadium against Virginia Tech. Yep. Virginia Tech was all sorts of awful last year. Yep. It hasn't looked much better this year. Nope. Virginia Tech's now traveling to the school of your father. Yes, they Rutgers. are. Rutgers has given up just 14 points this year. And against Temple, taking on, I know Temple's skill position and offensive line isn't great, but Temple has a hell of a quarterback in EJ Warner, and they made his life miserable. This Rutgers defense is for real. I could see them shutting down Virginia Tech. I could see Rutgers getting to 3-0, and and that also opens up a whole lot of bull potential that coming into the season, we, we thought, you know, mm, 
maybe they get to three and oh yeah but but i mean this would be a huge coup for uh shiano and this team yeah i think that rutgers their ground game looks really good right now um i think that yeah. is uh gonna be a real benefit to them and v- virginia tech is just all all sorts of bad all sorts of bad in all sorts of different ways man <laughs> like uh brent pry it's i don't know what he's doing but whatever he's doing that ain't it um that definitely no. ain't they, they just don't feel like they have an identity like i don't know no, they don't what, what's that one thing virginia tech hangs their hat on you know, under Beamer, interesting man. Beamer ball, special teams, uh, you know, continuing the legacy, Buff Foster's defense, the lunch bail. I, I don't I don't feel it. I don't know what they are. Yeah, they got to enter Sandman. And, you know, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I'm going to add one more for the road. Really? One more for the road here. Josh, it's the opening weekend of Ivy League football. Hey, and Josh, there is a huge battle in the Granite State Dartmouth at New Hampshire. Uh, prime time 6 p.m. game. Why isn't game day there? They should be. Well, you know, um, so for those of you who didn't know, Dartmouth coach Buddy Tevens had a very, very bad bicycle accident, um, in the offseason, and there's been a lot of there have been very few updates from the family about everything that has happened. So this is their first game uh, without Coach Tevens in, oh God, I want, in like two decades, like since he started there. And yeah. it's going to be a very emotional game for Dartmouth against their in-state rival UNH. And it's not like a rival in the same way that like Dartmouth-Princeton is a rival, but it's an in-state game that gets played most years. And it's important to both of these teams because there is there's bad blood in terms of you know the the Ivy League school Dartmouth versus the the state school New Hampshire, <laughs> uh, and you know UNH always has a solid squad. Dartmouth you know recently has usually had a pretty solid squad, and you know um, it is the head coaching debut um, for uh, Sammy McCorkle. He's been on the Dart. He's been on the Dartmouth staff for 18 years, and he's uh, been the associate head coach for the last nine years. And he is—it's his first game as interim head coach. There we go. And I am, you know, I, I'm excited to see how this Dartmouth team comes out and plays. Um, it's going to be a—it's going to be a big season uh, for the Big Green um, at Dartmouth uh, without. Um, w- without Stevens, and you know who's been, you know, Coach Stevens has been the program for two decades, and um, you know, to sort of to have a game without him on the sidelines, and to watch that and see how that team looks and overcomes that, I'm I'm definitely going to be tuned in. Unfortunately, it's on Flow Sports, which is really hard, which is a pay service that you have to get. But you know, it mm-hmm. it, it, it it is what it is, and. Uh, you know, um, right now, you know, UNH comes in ranked 11th in the FCS. Um, Dartmouth is their first game of the year. So, you know, they've been, uh, you know, gearing up for that. So I'm just I'm excited to see the Grand State battle here this weekend. Well, if we're going to talk Ivy football, though, I think the one over in Connecticut looks pretty intriguing too. those Yaley Bulldogs. Ooh. They host Holy Cross yes. who came within a whisker 
of taking down Boston College. That, that might have gotten half half tarmacked in his own hometown, which I don't know how that's possible. I'll tell you who's intriguing at Holy Cross. Their running back, Jordan Fuller. Holy Cross has played two games this season. Uh, he's got six touchdowns <laughs> through two games. Good start. Yeah, he, he's on pace for uh, uh, not a bad season. Yeah, those are uh, money ball like <laughs> touchdown numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that that's definitely something. That's definitely something. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of different uh, interesting games. Princeton starts their schedule at San Diego. There not San go. Diego State. That's the, that's their bowl game at San Diego. The Toreros. Uh, Pioneer Football League, no uh, no scholarships. Ivy, no scholarships. Yeah. Should be an even match. It works out well. So, uh, but no. So, uh, you know, I, there's, I, I'm always excited to see the Ivies play. Um, so, you know, especially my hometown, Dartmouth, Big Green. So I'm definitely going to yeah. be tuned into that one and tuned into games all across the country this weekend because it's what we do. Um, Josh, any final words before we wrap it up? Yeah, I, I'm struggling. You know, I'm doing that that food for for each game. I have no idea what to do with uh, with Kalamazoo, Michigan. We got the Western Michigan Broncos. Um, if I can't think of anything better, I'll, I'll get get some like Detroit style pizza or something. But uh, yeah, I'm not not entirely sure what culinary experience can represent the great town of Kalamazoo. So if we have any if we have any Kalamazoo natives. I'm Josh. Send us, uh, send us, send us a, I've a got um, the answer: cherry pie. And I don't like cherry pie. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's my wife's favorite pie, but uh, cherry pie apparently, and you know, I guess cherries are big in Michigan, so uh, cherry pie, or just put a maraschino cherry in something and call it a day. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a, a dating dating way back when we lived in Los Angeles together. Uh, uh, Cherry's Jubilee, the the drink we invented, the uh, the the greatest drink of all time. It was uh that that was a special one, Josh. The Cherry yeah. Jubilee. Here, here's the recipe. I bought cherry soda. It was disgusting. We didn't know how to make it taste good. We poured gin in it till it became tasty. And then it was called a Cherry Jubilee. Cherry Jubilee. There it is. <laughs> There he is. And I think that is the perfect place for us to end tonight. Uh, so to all of you out there, enjoy your cherry jubilee. Um, we'll be back again next week uh, on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast, part of the Believe Network and MikeFarrellSports.com. So until next time, uh, he is Josh Cook up there in the Windy City. Check out BigTenAndCounting.com for all of your Big Ten needs. I'm Matt Perkins uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and... Uh, I guess that's me saying so long and see you next time on the illegal motion college football podcast. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.